Okay. Good morning, everyone. If I can encourage you to take your seats, that would be very, very helpful. Just uh, for those of you who don't know who I am, I'm Adrian, uh, and uh, very nice to meet you if I've never met you before, and hopefully we'll actually get to meet you in person by the end. Um, just wanted actually to start slightly differently by just taking a moment just to say a big thank you. Uh, what many of you won't realize is that this room, up until uh, Thursday midday last week, was a pub, literally. Uh, there was a load of uh, kind of bar stuff over that corner, uh, several bales of hay around the room, which I have no clue what they were about, uh, and various other uh, photos and pictures to kind of give a site pub feel. And a number of individuals just gave of their time and energy uh, to turn this place around. I promise you it was an unbelievable mess uh, in order to uh, kind of make it what it was now that we can get in and just enjoy and it feel like home again. And I just wanted to just say a massive thank you to uh, my dad, to Richard Betts, to Sid, uh, to Joe and Sam, uh, to Phil and Julia, and I think those are the individuals who have forgotten you. It's always bad at this point if you've not written it down. There's a potential. Oh, and Gus. Um, I wonder if you guys could stand up that I've mentioned. Can we just give them a, a round of applause? I think they served us so well, so stand up, please. Oh, Mick as well. Um, today we get to start a new series, a series that will continue after I've gone and we'll uh, get back to once I'm back into it as well, but um, it's looking at the life of Abraham and we've entitled it uh, Faith for Fruit and we've done that for a reason. You see, as a church, we're uh, this year living with a theme that we're hoping that's uh, becoming part of who we are and shaping something of what we'll be and that is that we're living with a theme of uh, seeing that we're here to bear fruit that lasts. In other words, what we want to do is live our lives in a way, both individually and corporately together, to make a lasting difference for good to everyone around us. And what we've done this year is therefore looked at different parts of the Bible that encourage us in living this way. And as we're looking at the story of Abraham, it isn't just a kind of nostalgic look back and say, oh, well, that's what Abraham did, what does it mean for us? But rather with a sense of purpose, of understanding what a role model he is for us, you see, in us understanding that we're here to make a difference to the world around us, we need to understand to do that, we need to both have trust in God, that he'll give us everything we need, and also in us trusting God that he'll give us everything that we need, and also trusting God that he's got a plan for us to go ahead and to run after, that we also take action to live that way. And if you like, that's what faith is all about. It's about trusting and taking action. And what we're going to do is, as we look at this story of Abraham, is, is to look at the, how this was an individual who uh, had these great promises over his life of fruit. Promises that, as we're going to see by the end of this morning, we're now all part of. But in it, it wasn't enough for him to have these promises of fruit and, the, and how his life was to be shaped to do the good for everyone. Actually, it also caused him to have to live with a sense of faith of trusting in God and taking action. And what I'm hoping we're going to discover week on week is actually both how to live this way and how not to live this way. One of the wonderful things that we discover about the Bible is it doesn't hide the bad bits of people's characters. It doesn't give just a polished impression of how amazing someone is. It both gives the, the great moments where you think, oh man, I'd, I'd love to be like that. And the moments where you think, man, how could they have done that? 
that feels so much like my life in order that we can see that these are men and women just like you and I. And therefore, the example they give us continuously points to a God who's not like you and I, who we are to have faith in, in order that we can see the fruit that we want to see. And so with that in mind, I want us to kind of look then to start this series off in what I've entitled The Grand Design. Now, if you're an architect fan like myself, you'll recognize that actually this is borrowed title from a program that's on Channel 4 or More 4 nowadays uh, called Grand Designs. And uh, Grand Designs is basically this excellent program. Uh, I'm going to now convert you to watching it. Um, that basically tells the story of an individual or a couple and their desire to take usually a kind of broken down uh, building or structure and to renovate it or renew it in some way in order that it can become the home that they've uh, envisioned, they've dreamed of. And they invest, invest everything in creating this home. And the program kind of spans out the journey of them creating what they'd envisioned. And they stake everything on it. They stake their reputation, their finances, their time and energy, and the program kind of follows them. And if you've ever watched one, basically it gives you a snapshot of what every single episode is going to look like. And the, each episode is hosted and presented by a guy called um, someone whose name has escaped me. Kevin McLeod, that's the one. I was going to call him Colin, and I think it's not Colin, Adrian, it's Kevin. So Kevin McLeod, and, and Kevin McLeod is, is a kind of interesting individual because he's got this way of words that he always seems really passionate, but also a little bit questioning and depressing. And, <laughs> and in it, he, he kind of tells the story of the individual. And there's always a beginning part where he gets to hear their, their plans and desires for what they want to do with the structure they've got and how they're going to create this amazing home. And there's kind of this bit where he sounds kind of, and I do put that, kind of excited with the individuals and then speaks to us, the viewers, on camera and says, this is never going to work. <laughs> and you kind of know, as soon as Kevin McLeod says it's never going to work, that means it's going to be amazing. Because that's how the program works. And then what happens is the program then starts to kind of progress from that point from this moment of a kind of declared vision of this home that these individuals are going to give themselves to building or uh, getting others to help build. And then it basically starts on the track. And it starts on a track that immediately hits kind of literal walls and literal problems. Problems that set the whole thing back. And what you then find is an hour's viewing of setback to setback with this presenter who keeps coming in as a prophet of doom saying, I thought it wouldn't work, it's never going to work. And the individuals who are seeking to make their build kind of keep coming back saying, but this is what we envisioned and we're not going to settle for anything less. And then what you find through the program as it progresses is that, is that it takes a bit longer than we the viewers thought it would take. And sometimes the individuals who'd envisioned it thought it would take. But eventually they get there. And although they get there, it usually costs way more than we could have ever imagined, but an inkling of what the individual thought it would do. And whilst our breath's taken away by the cost of what it costs them to get their dream vision home fulfilled, you then get your breath taken away by what they then reveal. And so the final camera shots is Kevin McLeod kind of going in and giving these ponderous thoughts, usually with some quote at the end that's him thought through of the, of the building, where he suddenly says, as I always thought, 
This has become an amazing structure that fits within the environment that it was placed to bring something of the identity of the individuals that have built it, but also in keeping with the surrounding area, and yet begin to be a picture frame of something that will be looked on in nostalgia in the past, from the future to the past, but also projects forward in the future of what we can all look forward to living into. And you kind of live there and think, really? I thought you thought it wasn't going to work. But that's the joy of the program. And for me as an architect lover, it, it kind of is this joy of just seeing someone's vision of the home they've wanted to live in kind of come about and the commitment they put in to seeing it come about. And at the end, then seeing the structure they've revealed. And often there's something about the structure that is very unique. And it kind of has that Marmite effect of either you love it or you hate it. But in it, they've not settled for second best. And in it, you find that they discover they're willing to pay any cost to get the design through. And you see, why I ultimately love grand designs is actually not because of Channel 4 or Kevin MacLeod, but because it points to a grander design. A grander design that it actually is told through a story through the whole of the Bible, from the beginning to the end, of a designer who's God, who has this plan and design, and will settle for nothing else than what he's designed for a home that all of humanity can live in, a home that then is painted continuously through the Bible and the, at the end then gets fulfilled of us seeing what that home looks like. And what we discover through the journey, what we've already been celebrating this morning, is that there's a time commitment to it that's longer than any one of us can imagine. But there's also a cost implication to it that's beyond anything that anyone could have imagined. And this morning, as we look at the story, the opening part of Abraham's story, as he's yet to be named Abraham, what we're going to discover is that his story is our story, that his beginning is our beginning. Because actually what we find is it's part of a much bigger story, a story that you and I are now part of. And my concern is in looking at the story of Abraham, that actually our starting point is to immediately look at the individual, rather to understand that he's part of a much bigger story that is the whole of the Bible. And so this morning what I want to do is kind of look at that. I want to look at the grand design that's painted through the whole of the Bible. But to start us off, I want us to look at Genesis 12 verses 1 to 9, where we're kind of introduced to Abraham kind of a bit more. If we were to look, and we haven't got time this morning, but I'd ask you to look over the coming weeks at the chapter 11 beforehand, which kind of paints a bit of the setting of Abraham. It doesn't talk a lot about him. It just introduced that he was married. It introduced that he had a dad and many brothers and a kind of complicated family situation and that he and his family lived in a city. That's what we kind of find out about Abraham. And then we're introduced into chapter 12, to kind of Abraham's kind of life. And at this point, God breaking in, it says this, the Lord had said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left, and as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, Abraham was 75 years old. Can I just note on that one for some of us in this room? Though we live in a city where 51% of the population are 30 and under, that does not mean that if you're over the age of 30, you're written off in this church. 
This is the church that reflects the city we're in. That 51% of the pop, kind of population of Oasis is 30 and under. But actually, the Bible is a story of people of many different ages. Therefore, if you are over the age of 30, if you are over the age of 65, 70, this is kind of one of those ones that says, come on, what are you up to? So here we go. So he's 75 years old. When he set out from Haran, he took his wife Sarai and nephew Lot. That reminds us of who Lot is. All the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. They reckon that was about 100 people at this point. And they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued towards the Negev. Because we're Western, our desire is at this point in time to unpack these nine verses and to unpack them really well, and to kind of look verse by verse of what it's trying to teach us. But what we've got to always remember is the Bible was written originally and told in an original setting. It was an Eastern setting where they didn't do it like we do in the West, thinking that we're right logically. Rather, they always set what was going on in the bigger story that was happening. That as an individual, you always wanted to know how you fit within your family and how your family fit within your tribe and how your tribe fit within your nation because it allowed you to understand that you are not insignificant. You're part of a much bigger story. And for us this morning, we need to understand that. That as we look at the story of Abraham, we need to understand that his story is our story because we're part of a much bigger story. A story that what we have here detailed is actually the breaking in of God setting out what his design plan is. But for us to get there, we need to remind ourselves of the need for the design. Now, for some of us, this is going to be familiar. We're going to think, oh, Adrian, really? You're going to tell the whole story? Well, at that point, I kind of provoke and say, can we never get to the point where we think, oh, no, not the whole story? Can I, I also encourage us that actually, maybe there's something good that it does in us of reminding ourselves that actually within the lives that you and I are living out, it has great purpose because we're part of something that started at the very beginning of time and that will be having relevance to the very end of time. And my often question I'm answering with people or helping people come to a point of answering for themselves is, is, is that deep sense of what am I here for? How do I fit? What's my purpose? And you see, in us understanding the greater story that we're part of that starts off in Genesis, the beginning, finishes off at Revelation, it allows us to understand that our lives do have purpose. That the reason that you're in, the place you're living in, the reason that your life is at the place it's at, the reason that you're in the job, if you're in a job, in the job you're at, is because of this greater story that you're now part of. And actually what it does in us looking at the beginning through to the end is it brings that sense of relevance and purpose to our lives. And so please, can I ask you to just humor me for a few minutes as we look at the story. So we start off as a, with a need for the design, a need for the design that happens in creation. At the very beginning of the Bible, it talks about how God was involved in creating everything. And what God did is he created a home for humanity. 
a hope for humanity that allowed them to understand their identity. Their identity was all about who they were in respect to who God was. And so they were made in God's image, man and woman. And in being made in God's image, they were bearers of God's image. They were made not only in his image, but to have relationship, to be enjoyed with God. That's what home was like. It was a place where their identity was all caught up in who God was. But it was also a place where it was created of home that was not only about identity, it was also purpose. And that God had called humanity above every other part of creation to be the ones that bore his image and revealed his image through creating, cultivating everything on the planet. It wasn't kind of to be museum auditors. Now, the desire of humanity, of God's, wasn't that they just stand back and kind of tell all the other animals and plants to be quiet and kind of take their place. Now, the point was of humanity was they were to create and cultivate everything God had created. In order they could bear his image as the creator and the cultivator. And so they had this purpose in creating and cultivating. They had this purpose that God gives them of filling the whole earth. Filling the whole earth with what? People and what they've made. So there's this great sense at the very beginning that God has this plan, this design, that humanity is there to be in relationship with him and to reveal him. And in, it, in being in relationship with God and revealing God, it then has this great plan and desire to do good to everything. And then what we know, for those of us who are familiar with the story, is that God then says, in the freedom of you living this way, I ask you to do one thing, and that is to not eat of this tree the tree of, of good and evil. And then we know, don't we, what happens is that, that humanity decides actually in our freedom, in our liberty, that actually maybe we know better. And so humanity decides to say, yeah, we're going to eat of that tree. And as a result of that, the story says that everything breaks. Everything breaks of what God designed, of him being at the center and it all working because people are living according to what he planned. And in them saying, actually, maybe we've got a better plan. Maybe we've got a better design here. Suddenly the original design breaks and God comes in and says, what have you done? And says, this has broken everything. It's broken how I can relate to you. It's broken how you're going to relate to each other. It's broken how you're going to be able to relate to the whole of creation. And it's broken how you're going to relate to life. Because ultimately God is life. And therefore, if our relationship with him is broken, then the only thing that can happen is death is going to come in. And what happened from that point on, and the story kind of goes from that point on to present day, is that humanity has continued on pushing the button of self-destruction, of continuously saying, actually, let's live according to what we want rather than what God might want for us. Let's live with ourselves and our desires at the center of what we want rather than what God might desire for us and him being at the center of us. And what's happened is that it's just brought self-destruction. It's continued to add to the brokenness. In order that we can get to the 21st century, and it's as though we've got this very poor photocopy of a 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 photo, you get the message, of what there was at the original. So there's still some of the markings, there's still some of what God had originally designed, but the image of what we're looking at is so marred it's so distorted that we're left with just something flaky to look at. But you see, the amazing news is, is that God wasn't ever going to leave it that way. You see, he takes this moment of this story that we start off with with Abraham to see 
that he has this design that he wants to reveal. A design that he reveals to an individual called Abraham that it will, will find actually will cause his whole name to be changed. That we'll get to know him as the name that we know him of Abraham. And what we discover is that God promises Abraham that, that he's actually going to do something new. He's going to take him into a new land in order that he would have a new home. Everything that home always meant is going to come back. A home that's going to mean that they're going to be in right relationship with God. A home in this new land that's going to mean they're going to live knowing what it is to have God at the very center of who they are. And all the good things that come with that. Not only is he going to bring him into a new home, God also says, I'm, I'm going to make you a great nation. And of course, you to have many, many descendants. But it isn't just for yourself. It's in order that you can bless all people. There's a purpose in it. There's a purpose in me calling you individual to be a great nation, to live in a new home with me at the center and all that reveals. And that's in order that it would be a blessing to everyone. That it would do everyone on the planet good. See, what God's announcing here is his vision of a new home. It's a grand design moment. It's God drawing alongside Kevin McLeod and saying, hey, do you want to see the plans I've got? This is my design. You can see the ruins that I'm working with. You can see something that was good at the beginning, but it's, it's kind of warped. The structure's gone, but I'm not going to destroy it. I'm going to renew and restore it. I'm going to renew and restore it into something much greater. So that's what God desires to do. And you find, and we'll find through you looking at the story of Abraham, that it, it continuously comes back, that God continuously gets hold of Abraham and his journey from this point on, saying, hey, remember the vision of the home that I've called you to. Remember the design that I'm calling you to be part of. So we find that even within this chapter, that God takes Abraham and gets him to walk around the land that he's going to call home. So go on, just walk around the stretch of it. Go as far as you want to. Just look at it. It's one day your descendants are going to be able to call this home. And then take us a few chapters on, and we're going to find that God gets hold of Abraham in the night, where Abraham's starting to doubt, could he ever have a descendant? Could he ever have one son, let alone multitudes? And God kind of wakens him in the night and says, hey, look at the sky. And it isn't some city sky. This is like the desert sky. This is a sky that's literally littered with stars. Millions and millions of stars. Stars that NASA space scientists look through telescopes and make up numbers. I don't know if you think that. I often think that. You know, when you hear them, they say, oh, well, there's a billion stars here. And then you open up the galaxy and there's another billion, billion. And there's a trillion here. And you think, really? You've really sat there counting them? <laughs> and, but there's a countless number of stars out there. And God says, look, Abraham. Look at the stars. Your descendants are going to outnumber them. And from that point on, Abraham and all of his descendants, including us, as we're going to see, can then for look at the stars in the sky and say, hey, that reminds us of a promise God made that the descendants are going to outnumber them. Then find that he gets to this point and says, actually, you're not going to be Abraham anymore. You're going to be Abraham. I'm going to change your name in order that you'd know whenever you say your name who you're meant to be what my design is. And he says, you're Abraham because you will be the father of what? A multitude of nations. And talk about a big plan. You know, design plan at the beginning, you've got, as we're going to go and see later, is we've got a husband and wife who are 75 and cannot have children. That's the starting point here. Husband and wife cannot have children. 
point here where God says, actually, I'm going to rename you. You're going to be called Abraham. So when you introduce yourself, you can say, who am I? I'm Abraham. I'm a father of many nations. Where's your kids? Oh, I haven't got any. Oh, but, but you're the father of a multitude of nations. And that was what he used to live with because this was the design. This is the design that God was committed to. This was the design that God was revealing to Abraham, to become Abraham, in order that the design could start to be flowing for a much bigger story. See, what we find then is that this design is worked out. A design that's revealed to Abraham is then worked out. It's worked out through Abraham and Sarah, his wife, finally having an heir, a son, Isaac. And from that son, we find a family comes. Brothers who have sons, who have sons. And suddenly, this family becomes a nation called Israel. And we've not got time this morning to do every single part, but we're going to do it in headline forms. And we find that actually this family who becomes an, a nation, Israel, eventually gets to find the land and to inhabit the land that God had promised to Abraham in order that they can call it home. In order that they can live there and it be their home. And it's to be their home in order that they could do what? In order they could reveal what it's like to have God at the center. In order they could live in the goodness of that. In order that only could they live in the goodness of what it's like to have God at the center, but also in order that they could do what God had always promised to Abraham, that his design was that every people group, every nation, will be blessed through this nation. And that's the point. They're, they're in a land that they can call home in order to do good to everyone. And what happens is what happens in any grand designs program is that this isn't the finished point. This is part of the journey. And so what happens is there just become setbacks. Now, the setbacks happening this time is that the people forget that they're meant to have God at the center. And so you find that the story just keeps continuing where the people keep forgetting that there are people that are meant to have God at the very center and reveal that to bless everyone around. And so what you find in the Old Testament is this story after the story of a people who've got this amazing call to be part of the design story. Just being like you and I and taking the eye off who God is and getting drawn to other things and then the design stunting. And to cut a long story short, what happens in the end is that these people actually lose sight not only of having what it looks like of having God at the center and get more consumed with the rules and regulations around that, but they also lose sight of the fact they were there to make a difference to the people outside of them. Their whole reason in being was to actually reveal the goodness of God and then invite other people into that, to know his blessing, and they, they lost sight of that. In order that it became something, this dream, this design that had been given was something that became exclusive and elitist and started to fall short of what God had always designed. And so you can get towards the end of the Old Testament thinking, as you read it chronologically, thinking, man, what is happening here? What's happening to the design that God had intended? It's kind of that Kevin MacLeod moment. And you have them. There are many Kevin MacLeods in the Old Testament who just walk in and say, do you know what? It's all done. Man, this nation's like a tree. It's like a tree that's going to be cut down, and all that's going to be left is a stump. That's the deal. 
A Kevin McLeod moment who comes in and says, I can't see how this building's ever going to get finished. This is, you know, they're going to be left with a scaffolding, no roof, and then it's going to rain and it's going to rot. That's what happens. But, but God knew the design wasn't finished here. Because he knew that there was a plan afoot, a cost that was going to be paid that no one had ever imagined. You see, he knew that for the design to get fulfilled, there was one who'd come from the line of Abraham, one who could say, yeah, my, my great, 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 great grandfather was Abraham. Who would be able to say, yeah, I'm fully man with a lineage to Abraham. But I also have a greater lineage. That's to God who is Father. We have one who comes on the earth to be the fulfillment of the design, who is God and who is man and who's called Jesus. And what we find is the most remarkable thing that we celebrated within worship this morning already is this Jesus comes to pay a cost that no one could have ever imagined. See, for this design plan to get revealed, to get fully completed, is it needed a cost to be paid, a cost to put right everything that was broken at the very beginning. A cost that could only be paid in the end by God. And that was in Jesus coming in order that he could live, in order that he could die, in order that he could rise again. Man, how often of us, if we've ever watched Grand Designs on More 4 or Channel 4, have got to that point where people suddenly have that embarrassing moment where Kevin MacLeod says, well, go on then. How much did it really cost? And you sit there and you think, go on, tell us. And they say, oh, oh I, I, you know, it was a little bit over budget. And you know what that means. You're thinking, how many six figures over budget? And they say, well, it was a little bit over budget. And they always get to this point and say, I've got no more money. And I always think when anyone on that program says, I've got no more money, they're lying. <laughs> they're not like us when we say we've got no more money. And so they get to this point and say, well, we got to this point and we said, we've got no more money. And then suddenly we remembered, yeah, yeah, you remembered, um, that we'd actually need to do this other part. And they say, well, actually what it in the end cost us was another £100,000 above the £700,000 that we were spending. <laughs> and at that moment you think, you what? <laughs> you, you were already investing 700,000 in this. And then you suddenly thought, I've got another 100 I need to put. I watched one where the guy had put in a million. And then he goes, 500,000 pounds over budget. You know, I'm there going, you what? One and a half million pounds on a water tower? You'll always watch, you're all going to watch that episode. So I'm there putting my hair out, thinking, but this guy sat there and says, but look at the panoramic view, views of London. I think, they are amazing. One and a half million pound, amazing. And we all kind of look at them and think, you what? And then we get to this point of this story, the story that we're all part of. And we say, man, what does it cost? For everyone to get blessed? What does it cost for everyone to have a home? What does it cost for everyone to have that home that means an identity in God, a purpose with God? And way beyond one and a half million pounds. A cost that actually we struggle to get our feeble minds around. A cost that God coming and living on earth as man and then dying a death that every single one of us deserved. That's what it cost. We mustn't ever grow tired of hearing that. We mustn't ever grow tired of being familiar, too familiar with it. Because why Jesus was willing to pay that cost, why the Father had got this plan together, why the Spirit was there at work within it, 
was because it demonstrated God's commitment and love to us and his desire out of love for us to have a home. And so what we find is this design is fulfilled through Jesus. And in it being fulfilled, Jesus then does what he and only he can do. Is he brings everyone a way in, a way in that they can know home with God. A way in through putting their trust in who is life, death, and resurrection. That they can know that home with God. They can know home with God that brings that deep sense of identity. Identity that isn't caught up in who we are, but caught up in who God is. That reminds us that we're as loved as we could ever be by God, and our identity is now in him. An identity that promises us that we now have home with God, a home that's, that's characterized by rest. It's no longer about what we are and what we do. It's all about who he is and what he's done. It's characterized by a wholeness that everything was broken in the very beginning. Relationship with God, relationship with one another, relationship with the whole of creation and death is, is dealt with. We get to know wholeness. A home that's characterized by life and life eternal. That death no longer needs to f- be feared. Death for us has no sting. Because we get to live in a home where there is always life. So the one we find then is that Jesus then leaves the planet. Leaves the planet having been resurrected and leaves 120 people and says, now you're to be those who are messengers of this design. Messengers of this grand design that's there saying that through Jesus, everyone is able to know this home. And so what we find is that from that 120, what they did is did what Jesus had asked. They lived knowing their identity was now in God and the home that he provided and live with that great sense of purpose of revealing what it was to live with that home in order that they would do good to everyone and invite everyone to become part of that. So much so that we can fast forward through from Acts to now and find from that 120 through the ages, it's grown and grown and grown. So we get to a point today where there's 2.1 billion people on the planet that have come to understand that this is their home because of the grand design. And see, what we find is that through this design being worked out, through this design being fulfilled, we find this design is revealed through us, but also we get to understand that the design will be completed. The end of the Bible is the story of completion. It's where God says, this is what I planned from then, from that promise to Abraham. I promised that one day all people will be blessed, all people would have a new home. And this is it fulfilled. So what do we find at the end of the book? We find at the very end of the book that actually God gets the planet how it's meant to be. He renews everything in order that everyone can call it home. A home that's governed by peace, wholeness. A home that's governed by love. A home that's governed by comfort. A home that's governed by life. A home where God himself dwells in order that everyone can know that deep sense of intimacy of relationship with him. And what we discover that is there is a crowd of people who outnumber the numbers that we could count, like stars that litter the sky. And we're told that it's a band of people, a crowd of people that are too many to number, made up of every tribe, tongue, and nation. Why? Because God spoke to an individual to restore everything. An individual who was to set out on a journey And what God said is, I'm about to do a new design. 
And in that design, it's going to be a new home. A new home that will bless all people. In order that every tribe, tongue, and nation will be part of it. So that when God gets it fulfilled, it can only be a place where every tribe, tongue, and nation are present. And so we're then left with the response, and how do we deal with this grand design? How do we deal with this great story? Well, the first part is, and this isn't going to come up on these, is that you have to figure out, am I part of it? Have I decided to put my faith and trust in Jesus? Because if you have, then you're part of this grand design. You're part of like this uh, great purpose. If you haven't, then there's an invitation for you to say, actually, you could be part of it. There's no kind of, you're not welcome. It's always, you are welcome to become part of it. But for those of us who have responded and said, yes, I'm now following and putting my trust in you, Jesus, that we now get to be part of this grand design, which means that firstly, like Abraham, we get to be identified through it. See, for Abraham, what we find in the story is that his identity now in hearing God meant that he was going to no longer live in the city with his father's household. That's what we find out. He just leaves that place. He's no longer identified by his dad. He's no longer identified by the city that he was in, that he was settled, that he was known. He's rather now, having heard what God has said, he said, this is where I'm going. And he's identified now with the promise that God has given and the relationship he now has with God. And for those of us who put our trust in Jesus, we need to understand that our identity now is in our relationship with God and the trust that we put in him. And my question is, is it? Is our identity caught there? Yes or no? It also means that like Abraham, it gives us purpose. See, for Abraham, he couldn't just sit in the city with his dad and just reminisce and say, hey, do you know what God said to me? He said that I'm going to have loads of descendants. I'm going to have like so many descendants that actually it's going to be like a nation, a nation that's going to bless all the other nations. So I thought I'd just hang out here with you, dad, and see when it happens. No, no, it meant that he had to leave the city. It took action. It gave him a sense of purpose. What his life was now about was what? It was about saying, this is what God has called me to. To be a part of a people that have God at the center to bless all people. And for us, so often we're thinking, what is our life about? Man, your life is about this. Where God has placed you is to reveal the home you're now part of with God in relationship with him and to invite other people to become part of it. Man, it, you don't need to go looking for something else. That's enough. And we get to play this unique part on this story that starts at the beginning of time and will end at the end of time. And our part is not insignificant. It's significant because we get to play a part in this great story of revealing what this home looks like with God and inviting others in. For some of us, this morning, we need to just leave knowing that our identity is here, our purpose is this. Rather than continue saying, Could I, should I be doing that? Should I be doing that? No, no, your purpose is this. Reveal the wonder of who God is and what it means to be in relationship with him. Where? Everywhere. Every relationship you're in, every setting you're in. Use it as an opportunity to say, this is the difference God makes in me. You don't have to announce it. Just live it. And then through living it, you invite others in to become part of it. Surely it's meant to be more complicated. No, no, it's as complicated as that. And as joy filled as that. And then lastly, what we need to do in response is we need to be like Abraham 
in not allowing the past to dictate our future. I've already referred to it, but if we were to look at chapter 11, we'll find this in Abraham's story, is that Abraham and Sarai had shame within their family. They lived within a household, and they had loads of stuff. They had loads of stuff. They really did. But they didn't have any kids. And so how they're introduced is just a couple who'd been married for years, who are 75 and have no children. Man, if they were to take the reality of their situation, if Abraham was to take the reality of his situation and say, well, God, I hear what you're saying, but my past dictates this. I haven't got any kids. How am I ever going to have a nation? And he said, no, no, I don't see it. But what Abraham did is he said, actually, I'm not going to allow my past to dictate my future. I'm not going to allow what's happened to me to dictate what, God, you want to do through me. So what he does, he says, regardless of the fact we've still not got, ki- we've not got any kids, regardless of the fact that actually it makes no medical sense that we can have kids at this point in time. Actually, I'm just going to trust you. Go ahead and say, I'm up for it. It makes no sense, but hey, maybe. And for some of us, the most significant thing we could do today is to stop being defined by our past and say, God, this is what you've called me to. This is your grand plan of design and you've called me to be part of that. And rather than me continuously looking back and saying, this is what discounts me, I'm going to say today, actually, you've called me. Therefore, regardless of what's happened, I'm going to go forward from this point to say, I want to live in the part I have to play in your grand design. And for some of us, that's, that's a hard thing to say, but it's the most important thing we need to do to wrestle to go forward. And my desire is that none of us would be so held back by what's been and what we've done that means that we're continuously stunted by who we could be. So I'm going to end there. I was told us there was going to be five minutes under, gone five minutes over, um, but there we go. You won't have me for two months, so you can live with that. What I would ask you to do is this. Could I ask you, if you're a parent, could you go and get your kids now? For those of you who are visitors here thinking, are you going to pray because we've got no closure? We're, we will kind of pray. Um, we'll do it slightly differently. But in this, what I want us to leave us with, all of us, is just that deep sense of how are we going to respond? Are we responding to be part of this big story? Are we going to live with that sense of the identity and purpose it gives? And for some of us, are we going to choose today to work out how we can stop living, being defined by our past, and rather being defined by the future God has for us? Other than that, I'll be quiet. Feel free to talk to your neighbors, friends, everything in between. All right.